Hello, and welcome to CCBJ Perspectives podcast, providing access to leaders and influencers within the ever-evolving ecosystem of lawyers and legal professionals. Today, our guest is Stuart Clark, Regional Director of Northern Europe for NUIX. Mr. Clark is an internationally respected cybersecurity expert with extensive experience across the areas of digital forensics, cybersecurity, and e-discovery. And he has advised the United Nations Peak Cybersecurity Body, ITU, providing cybersecurity training for over 60 national CERTs. In this conversation, Mr. Clark will discuss how law enforcement officials use technology in their investigations, the advantages of disclosure to a regulatory agency, and an ambitious project taken on by NUIX. Stuart, it's a pleasure to connect with you today. Thank you so much for taking the time. No, likewise, it's a pleasure. Delighted to be be here today. So as we discussed in our previous conversations, enforcement and investigations are among my favorite topics to explore. Nukes recently commissioned a series of interviews with 31 regulators across 18 countries. What inspired you to take on such an ambitious project? Yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, before I joined Nuix, I, I conducted a lot of investigations myself, both criminal and civil investigations. Um, and actually, uh, I myself was a user of Nuix in those investigations. And having joined Nuix eight years ago, and we're in this luxury position, this privileged position, actually, where we work with customers around the world. And it, it's obvious to us, and it's clear to, I think, everyone that regulatory investigations are incredibly prevalent and they're they're increasing and that that trend looks likely to continue as more regulations come online as there's more and more focus on compliance and um, so for us being in that position of, of working globally and seeing just how prevalent regulatory investigations are we were really keen to understand that on a global basis what are the differences in how these investigations take place are there any similarities? But for us also, it represented a, a unique opportunity to learn from a massive area, actually. And regulatory bodies, and whether they be conducting investigations or, or just whether they be regulatory inquiries, there's so much going on. And, and we found that there hasn't been an awful lot of in-depth research in that area. So for us, it was an amazing opportunity for us to learn, but also to to share with the, the the broader audience some some of the relevant conversations that are happening in this space that may not traditionally have been brought to the surface or or maybe because they're too challenging challenging have been overlooked um, so it was it was a fantastic opportunity for us to really to start picking at that and trying to understand that a little bit more broadly i think really to open up what is in many respects everyone knows about regulatory investigations but how they actually work and how they actually pan out and where are the opportunities to to get engaged is is not well understood um and and that's what we really tried to do here i guess what we didn't foresee we started this research in the early parts of last year and we did not foresee the the global pandemic and uh, that actually created quite an interesting edge to the research in terms of how we conducted it, but also some of the challenges that that popped up as well, which were naturally unforeseen um, and still um, with us today, actually. So 
that that was really the driver behind it. We really wanted to just understand this this very large area, but also quite diverse area, and just see what what we could share, what we could learn, and um, hopefully give back to the industry in the future. So with all this primary research, what did you discover about how regulators choose which cases to pursue and how they invest their resources? There's some great data around that, actually. I think when we look at the the research and, and the initiative, what we hope to do and what we believe we've done is we've created an amazing body of knowledge, which now it's out there is we hope will accelerate the right type of conversations in the right direction um, around regulatory investigations, but also will really help, I think, better understand, helped us better understand the, the interplay between the regulators, the corporations who are um, subject to those regulations, but also the law firms that are involved in, in those regulations as well, in terms of giving advice and guidance. And I guess we wanted to create more space for thought leadership there. And one of the things that we we really did find interesting is just, just how regulators on a global basis are, are choosing which cases to pursue and, and particularly why. What we found was typically, and it was a very rich response of data, but typically regulatory inquiries, regulatory investigations, um, complaints are the catalyst. 42% um, we found actually was complaints are the driving force. And, and those complaints could be something as simple as a consumer who's lost money and they're struggling to get it back. And that may happen a number of times. And the regulators aggregate that data and find that actually we have a series of consumers all reporting issues with the same corporation. And that may trigger, um, trigger an investigation. As well as those complaints, which are the predominant driver, the regulators are actually quite proactive in, in looking across public data. So looking at the data that's open source, publicly available, and they're looking for, for particular patterns or anomalies or outliers in that public data to determine, is there something they, they need to take a look at in a little bit more detail? But the one challenge I think that we, we kind of we foresaw this a little bit, and it, it's, it's definitely common, is the data volumes are increasing volumes complexity different types of data sources so while regulatory investigations are becoming increasingly prevalent on the other hand there's this growing challenge with data and those two things have, have certainly started to come to a head now and the the tried and tested approaches of casting the net wide when conducting investigation um, are not always possible anymore. And there's what we found was there's, there's been this increase, increasing adoption of what a, a few regulators referred to as a pre-investigation process or basically a triage process where rather than cast the net wide across a huge corpus of data, uh, resources just don't permit that, time doesn't permit that. So this triage approach is giving the regulators the opportunity to, to take a just an, an initial look at what's going on before making a decision about how deep to go in terms of the investigation and how wide to go in terms of the investigation. And often what informs those next steps are the results of that triage, but also they also look in parallel at the risk that 
this particular investigation has associated with it and particularly any risk uh, or, or any instance where the activity might cause direct harm to the public in those instances investigations would be prioritized and those would be the ones that would be prioritized to move forward in addition to that another decision making factor is the chance of success as i mentioned everyone's resource constrained huge volumes of data that there has there's there's only so much that the regulators can do so that they're they're looking for cases where there is a good chance of success where they can actually make a big difference because at the end of the day the regulator wants to protect the consumer so if they're going to succeed in doing that then that will prioritize a case over another case and and potentially drive their, their direction moving forward Stuart, can you get into deep versus wide a little more? Is that cross-border? Is it cross-business function? What have you observed over the years in terms of how regulatory agencies or law enforcement are addressing that? I mean, that, that's a really interesting question. And it, it talks to some of the challenges that, that regulators are facing, particularly around cross-border. Some of the larger corporations are, are exist on a global stage, but the regulators sit within their own jurisdictions, which presents a challenge uh, and a big challenge that I'll certainly come back to because there's, there's some interesting nuances to that. But in terms of going deep on an investigation and that, that initial triage phase, really the structure towards that, that there isn't really a clear structure that we, we found in terms of how that's dealt with Sometimes it will be maybe taking a deep look at one particular pot of data or a collection of people, for example. But on other instances, it might be just a skim across the surface, across quite a large proportion of data, maybe from one entity within a particular region. The idea behind it is just to see where are the hot spots of activity, basically. It's, it's not to, to try and discredit or to cut corners, but it's to try and better understand where are the hot spots? Where are the, the key areas that I need to focus on? And th this in notion of cross-border becomes then quite interesting because if we're investigating an international bank, that bank is global in nature, therefore subject to regulations in a variety of different jurisdictions. But which is the jurisdiction where the activity is more most prevalent? And that would be where that initial focus area was. And if there is some some significant findings there, then then you might expand the investigation out to look at working with other regulators outside of the jurisdiction in different regions to, to maybe deepen that investigation. So it, it really comes down to, I think, prioritization of, of prioritizing where to focus and where to invest, what are quite scarce investigative resources to, to get that best return really. So in my discussions with most of our audience, they have not experienced an investigation, but they've heard rumors about things like dawn raids and other tactics that seem extreme. How should they anticipate how law enforcement will approach them if they are going to pursue an investigation? Yeah, I, th I think the notion of the, the topic of dawn raids is is a really interesting one. And uh, I think it really emphasizes the key thing. With a dawn raid, there is no warning. You will not get a warning and you shouldn't expect a warning. 
And we, we did an awful lot of research around this topic of what levels of warnings are in place, how the dawn raids take place. And what we found actually was just, just, just over two thirds of those we surveyed, they would not provide warning um, if they were about to undertake an investigation or perhaps a dawn raid, they would just show up. That wasn't universal across the board. Um, there are some jurisdictions, um, particularly Europe, um, where you actually have to give a warning. You can't just show up and, and, and a dawn raid takes place. You have to give some warning. Um, sometimes it's a, it could be two weeks, a little bit shorter in other instances. So that varies across different jurisdictions. But I think regardless of whether there's a warning or not, the thing that I, I would say, which was very clear in, in the research, was if a dawn raid is going to happen or is happening, it means that the regulator is pursuing that investigation to the fullest extent. They're taking it very seriously. They're making a commitment to, to really go deep on that investigation. And I think that is a, an amazingly powerful takeaway for, for corporations, because if that does happen, I think you can rest assured that the regulator is taking this seriously. They're going to put a lot of resources into this. There's clearly some quite serious allegations that they want to look at. And they're very, very focused on their ultimate objective, which is to protect the market, protect the consumers. What is also interesting is the degrees to which dawn raids are handled and dealt with between smaller firms and larger firms. Uh, there was there was some differences actually, which we were quite surprised to see. But there was some commentary around that larger corporations who were were subject to to various different regulations, those larger firms could typically expect to receive a warning more so than a smaller firm. That was an interesting finding for us, um, and, and I think the reason for that is with the larger firms, there's so many moving parts. I think the cross border issue sometimes has has a role to play in that as well. But the larger firms would typically get a warning. There was some suggestion that there's a lot of, there's typically more mistakes made in larger firms that are not always malicious. So that warning helps, gives them an opportunity to do something about that and maybe be a little bit proactive. But the one message I, I certainly would say from the, the research and from speaking with the various regulators is it's quite clear that even if there is a warning we shouldn't take that as an opportunity to be lax and to kind of cut corners. That warning is put in place to, to give you enough time to get your house in order and to present the right information. It's not an opportunity to actually try and undo something. So, and I think that that's really clear is the warning is there to give you that space and to give you that window to, to, to present actually the, the, the relevant information and the relevant data. And I think for me, that really, really teases out this notion. It's something I've been talking about for quite some time is being ready, being regulatory ready as an organization that so that when they do, when the regulator does come knocking or, or when there is some kind of um, inquiry taking place, you're ready to respond and you're in a good position to respond in a positive manner as well. The other thing I think just to close out on, which I just want to touch on, on this particular topic around dawn raids, is there was certainly a lot of openness towards the increasing use of communications between regulators and, and corporations. And 
that seems to be something that's being more and more actively encouraged on, on pretty much a global basis. And I, I don't know if the pandemic had a role to play in this or maybe increased it, but because there's so many new opportunities and risks, for example, blockchain, rather than a corporation going and exploring those things in isolation, what regulators are looking for is a bit more of an open model around communication and to communicate with the regulators about how they might want to adopt something like blockchain. So while dawn raids are certainly a useful technique in these investigations, it's not the only technique that regulators are employing and they are actually looking to be a little bit more collaborative with corporations as well. But I think regardless, the thing that does really stand out to me throughout the survey is what regulators are looking for is for corporations to be a little bit more proactive and a little bit more on the front foot, I think. So that artfully leads me to my next question, which is surrounding disclosure and the advantages of it, but also if the regulatory agencies have the capacity to do this type of monitoring, how can corporations deploy similar resources and then if they do anticipate flawed behavior or judgment or a lack of compliance using that, what would the advantages of disclosure be? For me, the ultimate goal for a corporation has to be to try and develop a degree of trust with a regulatory body. Um, and I think that that's got to be a goal. But that goal could, could only be realized really by investing ahead of time. And, and as I, I kind of alluded to a moment ago, is that notion of being ready and that notion of being a lot more proactive. Uh, as a corporation, there, there's a huge amount of data under your control. There's a, there's a huge amount of data flowing around. And I think it's increasingly incumbent on corporations to try and understand what data they have, what's in it. For example, is there payment card information in there? Is there health information in there? Is there PII, personally identifiable information in there? So what you have, what's in it, but also who has access to it. Those three questions sound very simple, um, but they're often quite difficult to answer. And I think that that's got to become a focus um, for any organization, not just when they're thinking about regulatory investigations and how to better prepare for them, but there's a huge amount of benefit and value that can be achieved by just having that knowledge to hand as a corporate. And one of the things I'll kind of point to is we I've personally seen with a lot of our clients the COVID pandemic, I think, accelerated the adoption of cloud technologies. I think a lot of people had it on their roadmap, but I think those roadmaps were condensed to facilitate remote working and all manners of other things. And in that scenario, organizations had to move very, very quickly. But when you're moving quickly, it's important to, to maintain that element of control, particularly when you're talking about data, particularly when you're talking about sensitive data. And without being able to answer what data you have, what's in it, who has access to it, those migrations to cloud technology stacks become much, much more risky and, much more, uh, and a much more costly exercise because you end up moving 
huge volumes of data. You don't really know what you've got in there. You don't know what levels of protection it requires. You, you very quickly lose control. And I, I think that that window of opportunity, it's been there for a while, but there's never been a better time, I think, for corporations to just think about this again and think about uh, a couple of years ago, I coined the phrase being a good shepherd. And we, we released a white paper on this topic is being a good shepherd of your data, understanding what's in your data, where's your data is not only good for these regulatory investigations, and it helps you respond and report in a proactive manner to regulators, in a proactive manner to regulators, but there's no end of other benefits that can be achieved by adopting such a strategy. For example, once you know where all your data is and you can proactively search it, monitor it, uh, report on it, you can deal with things like data subject access requests, which are becoming an increasing problem for organizations around the world as our freedom of information requests. You're also much better prepared to deal with litigation. You're much better prepared and armed for risk management or maybe doing data migration um, exercises through a, an M&A activity or, or something like that. So I think the advantages are, are clear. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that's an easy thing to achieve. I know it's not. It's incredibly complicated, but there is a lot of value in doing it. It's not an exercise that's just theoretical and it could be good. Being proactive has proven benefits and it is something that regulators are increasingly looking to see. It, it, that proactiveness, that ability to self-regulate and to report on poten potentially technical issues, I think is where the, the regulators would like to see the, the corporations move in the future. So that's super interesting because we often talk to executives in law departments about their relationship with CIOs and technology executives within their organizations. And I find that there's often a disconnect, right, between the execution and and the anticipation of uh, compliance issues or law enforcement. So in your study, what did you find about how regulators or law enforcement are using technology in their investigations and how can our audience benefit from understanding that? Yeah, I mean, technology is, personally for me, that, that was an interesting topic that we we got into and discussed at length in the survey, actually. I was quite surprised by some of the responses, which I'll touch on in a moment, but the use of technology, um, the one thing I will say is it's increasing and it's gonna to continue to increase, I think, for the foreseeable future. Most regulators are armed with pretty good technology now, and they've invested heavily in their own technology infrastructures to conduct investigations, but also they're now incredibly informed and asking very detailed questions of the corporations on the receiving end about what technologies they're using. Because corporations know readiness is achievable, they know what's possible, and they, they would like to start to see it. And I think that any misconceptions that regulators are, are dated and they're not using up-to-date techniques and they're not aware of up-to-date technologies is is incorrect they are aware of what can be achieved and 
they're increasingly pushing people towards those those solutions with that being said what was interesting and as i said i was quite surprised by by some of these results we we ask regulators very specifically around how often they use technologies and, and tools like predictive coding to help overcome the the large volumes of data and actually a very modest two in five of those that we surveyed are using things like predictive coding and so that's about 42 percent. so it's not it's not a huge percentage but overall the trend was was going up and it was going up quickly and i i honestly feel having had those conversations i honestly feel if we did the survey again today that number would be definitely higher and it would continue to rise at quite quite a good rate in terms of the technologies that are being used it was it was quite interesting for me actually it, there's a much broader use of visualization tools than I think what a lot of people would expect. Visualizing data and is an incredibly powerful utility, I think, for the regulators. And they're using these visualization tools to try and identify patterns. They're trying to find connected entities. They're trying to, to help the data tell the story and help them identify things that are not, not always obvious to the human investigator. And I think the visualization of quite disparate and complex data sets is something that's becoming increasingly powerful and the technologies that deliver that solution um, are much more widely used than I think um, probably a lot of people would expect. But I guess coming back from, from those visualization tools, we did speak with one regulator about very specifically about predictive coding um, and the use of predictive coding and in many respects, it was their go-to. Um, they they were using predictive coding on pretty much every matter, unless it was a small matter. So if it's something that was less than, a, let's say, 2,000 documents, they wouldn't use predictive coding. But everything else, predictive coding was standard, and it helped them get through cases very, very quickly and get to the heart of the information faster than what they would have been able to in a manual way. So that was a very positive story, and I feel like there's there's more of that to come. Outside of quite, I guess you could call predictive coding quite an advanced technique, simple analytics techniques like denisting, culling data, deduplication, filtering of file types and date filtering, et cetera. That's incredibly common. That's, that's almost, uh, to use a, the expression par for the course, that's incredibly common. And it, the technologies that are able to do that now are so powerful, they're so available there's no real excuse for, for not adopting those technologies. And um, there's some great public examples of how just simple deduplication capabilities and removing system files can, can reduce a data set by orders of magnitude, uh, which as we look to the future with more and more data being generated, those analytics techniques are just gonna become part of a standard workflow and a standard automated workflow, which is where technology focuses moving towards now is automation. How can we automate as much of this process as possible so that we can scale and address bigger and more complex things in the future? So I think any conception that regulators are not ahead of the times, I think is incorrect. They, they are definitely moving towards the bleeding edge of what technology can do and they are aware of what can be achieved by corporations themselves. So I'm curious, what's your sense of how 
predictive coding, AI, machine learning, all of that is getting smarter. Do you have a sense that regulatory agencies, corporations are sharing information to sharpen their skills in terms of how they write that code? Yeah, that's an interesting one. The sharing topic uh, and sharing across regulators seems to be universally the most discussed and I guess most challenging opportunity regulators are facing is how do we share tools and techniques and information in an effective manner? I don't think there's, there's a good solution in place just yet, but I think there's a desire to have a very open and transparent way of working, whether it be sharing information or, or techniques or intelligence. With predictive coding uh, and with those machine learning technologies, I guess that obviously machine learning broadly falls into two, two buckets. There's supervised and unsupervised machine learning. I think supervised machine learning, which is training models to go out and find relevant material, feels like there's a greater comfort level in the use of that more so than unsupervised at the moment. Um, unsupervised is, is effectively the machine going out there and clustering similar documents together. And I feel like that is, is just the journey that the, the adoption of those technologies are, are on. There's a little bit more control around supervised machine learning. You obviously, you feed in what you're looking for and then let the machine do the work that's a good opportunity for sharing information as well. What are the best models to use? What are the most effective models to use? And I, I do think there's a little bit of sharing there because there's a lot of technology out there that's able to do that type of classification, uh, data classification. Uh, Newix, for example, is something we've done for, for a long, long time. So I, I do think there's quite a lot of collaboration around what tools can do what and how effective. But I think the, the general topic around sharing is is certainly a, a big a big topic and a one without a very good answer at the moment, but it is something that I think that we're actively being pursued. So let's dig in and talk about the findings around the preferred forms of enforcement action that regulators have been deploying and what influences those decisions. Yeah, enforcement, we, we weren't overly sure what kind of response we would get to this topic, but we, we wanted to understand a little bit of, just to understand the full cycle, is what are the preferred forms of enforcement used by regula regulators? Anyone that's listening to this podcast, I, I think will guess the thing I'm about to say, um, which is the use of fines. Fines um, in 65% of, of cases of, of those we surveyed was the dominant form of enforcement. Fines were not the only force of enforcement, and I, I use that word dominant um, on purpose. Typically, a fine would be issued with something else. So they would combine a fine with some other level of enforcement, which actually might be a little bit more supportive. For example, a corporation would receive the fine, but then they would also be expected to go through a period of um, training and to, to increase their skills and education levels. That's becoming, uh, across quite a lot of the regulators we spoke to, becoming the preferred technique. They want, yes, they want to punish, but also they want to put in place sustainable methods that will help 
protect and improve the market and protect the consumer moving forward. And to do that, they need to educate. They need to educate in terms of what the expectations are and what we think can be done to achieve them. And I really felt as, as we, we got this, the feedback from some of the regulators that education is increasingly becoming a key tool and a key lever in actually stopping certain behaviors. Fines are effective as well, but actually just that additional level of education, I think is, is creating a, a different environment. It's creating, I think, a more sustainable long-term regulatory environment where the regulator, yes, acts as an enforcement body, but also is a supportive body that wants corporations to do the best that they can for their consumers and for the market. But one interesting thing that I will share, actually, when we, we conducted the survey, we talked about enforcement quite at length, really. One regulator that we spoke with had a particular view and particular commentary around enforcement and said, as a regulator, yes, we want to be supportive, but also they didn't want to be perceived as the word was a toothless tiger. So it was important, really, that the punishment that there was issued would always fit the crime. Um, and there, there's definitely that feeling, I think, that the regulators do have a lot of people watching and they, they want to see that those punishments do fit the crime and people are looking for that. So it's a difficult, I think, it's an interesting balancing act in terms of how to ensure that the, the sufficient level of punishment takes place while also trying to move forward and develop a, a, a much more sustainable relationship in the future, which inevitably the, the end goal is to protect the consumer and and that that's always the focus and will remain the focus um and i think that's why i think we'll continue to see multiple methods of enforcement will be be used in the future regardless of public pressures and external influences well that sounds like it's an interesting way of calculating risk for corporates for sure just being able to understand whether it's if it's a fine that is something they can anticipate if they discover some lack of compliance versus if it's a very malicious internal action in the future looking towards how different jurisdictions are looking at executives versus corporate inappropriate actions is, is going to be interesting. Definitely. I, I would definitely agree with that. I think um, it's an interesting landscape for the future. And I guess our hope with this, this survey and sharing the report, which is an incredibly detailed report. I mean, I've just touched on a few things today. There's so much detail in there. And I think our anticipation and our hope is that we, we can do this again in the future. And this can become a maybe not an annual report, but certainly a, a frequent report, but to just to share information and to, to, to provide those insights to, to ensure that really everyone's pulling in the, in the same direction. And that there is also an opportunity to learn, are there techniques that are being used in some parts of the world that are more effective is getting closer to corporations, the right answer. Uh, there's so many different learning points. And I think if we can, if we can encourage more and more sharing and thought leadership around those topics, then that, that's what we want to do moving forward. 
Yeah, no, I get where you're coming from. I mean, the regulators aren't trying to put themselves out of business, but it's their job to have eyes on. So as, as much as executives, directors, compliance officials can understand the lens that they're using, I think that's sort of the social contract between the two groups, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us today and thank you for sharing these findings. I hope that we can stay in touch and hear from you again in the future about how you know, you're seeing the information pan out and, and just keep our audience tuned in to, to what you're seeing from your perspective as having been an insider and now somebody who's working with a multitude of organizations. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and again, thank you for, for the opportunity today. I hope those that are listening have time to, re- to read the report. I hope you find it interesting. And yeah, I'd look forward to, to, to future communication and discussions on this for sure. So for those of you who are interested in reading the full report, you can go to newix.com. If you're looking for the executive summary of it, you can go to ccbjournal.com and, and find a shorter form version. Again, Stu, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate you taking the time. And I'm sure that many will appreciate your insights into the law enforcement and regulatory landscape. You're welcome. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you again.